it's my uh, great pleasure to welcome you all to uh, Kate Milligan's book launch, her book, Painting Dublin, Visualizing a Changing City, 1886 to 1949, published by Manchester, uh, Manchester uh, University Press, is uh, a milestone achievement. And most of us have ordered it and are hoping that it'll, it'll arrive before Christmas so that we can put up our feet and, and, and immerse ourselves uh, into this fascinating uh, study. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Anne Fuchs. I'm the current director of the UCD Humanities Institute, where Katie was a resident scholar while turning her PhD into, into this book and um, that we're launching today. And uh, we uh, are delighted that the Humanities Institute can actually, uh, you know, host this, this online uh, launch. Of course, we are extremely disappointed that it has to be an online launch rather than a real event, but perhaps we will be able to make up for this sometime in the future. I just want to say a few words about Katie as a HI scholar. Uh, when she left us in uh, 2019, we were extremely sad to see her go. Of course, it's, we always say bye-bye uh, to our scholars and that's, that's a natural progression, but we were extremely sad because Katie was a truly inspirational and intellectually generous um, young academic who inspired the entire, the entire institute and including me. So thank you, Katie, for that. I, before handing over to Katie herself, I would especially like to welcome her parents because of course, you know, I'm sure that they have given uh, so much support uh, to her um, um, over the years. So Lou and Henry Milligan, I can't see you, but I know that you're somewhere, ah, hello. You're very welcome. We're delighted that you can attend this, this wonderful event today. So Katie, without much ado, I'm handing over to you. I'm really looking forward to the next hour, which will be so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anna, and uh, for those really generous words, it means a, a huge amount uh, to me. Um, as you can hear, I'm already starting to get emotional, so I have to try and uh, keep, the, keep the train on, on the tracks. And um, after not seeing so many of you in quite some time, um, I can't tell you how nice it is to see all of your uh, faces, even if it is on Zoom. I think even long before I had written or even finished writing the book, uh, I had imagined a book launch. I was very lucky as an undergraduate to come through uh, at a time when there was a lot of publishing in art history and some of my, my best memories are, are of launches uh, by scholars who I have always really looked up to. So I really didn't think that when it came to be my own turn, uh, we would be in the middle of a pandemic and, and having this on Zoom. So I really hope that maybe next year when we're all safely vaccinated and this uh, current crisis is behind us, we can, can get together uh, in person. If I started to thank everyone who has helped me along the way, uh, we'd be here for a lot more than an hour, um, but there are just a, a couple of very important people I want to mention. Um, firstly, of course, to Anna, Emily, Margaret Sterles, and Nicholas Allen, who are, are here today and helping with the launch, um, and also to Ricky Schoen and Valerie Norton, the wonderful administrators of the HI, who keep us all uh, in check, who have done all of the technical uh, work today and made sure that you, you all are here. So thank you so much for that. 
of course, as Anna said to, to mum and dad um, and to the rest of my family, my uncle Johnny, I think is here from Jersey, which is very exciting. Um, there's one person missing today. That is my wonderful fiance, Grace, who's at work in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. As you can imagine, getting time off as a doctor this year is uh, tricky, <laughs> but we're recording it and she'll be able to watch it later. So as I said, I, I have written out the next bit uh, in, in a hope to, to stay and cover everything that needs to be said. So the seed of this book uh, dates all the way back to 2008, when as an intern in the education department at the National Gallery of Ireland, uh, fresh from my undergraduate studies at UCD and so very green around the years, I happened across Harry Kurnoff's wonderful Dance Macabre, the rather morosely titled Death, a title that doesn't convey this wonderfully colourful decorative canvas with its parade of mods, misers, cherubs and workers uh, led along by the Reaper. This was like nothing I had ever seen before in the Irish art rooms and I was curious to know more. This little seed of curiosity uh, was nurtured uh, and brought to early growth during an MPhil in Irish art history at Triarch, the Trinity Irish Art Research Centre, part of the Department of History of Art and Architecture in Trinity. Um, Kernoff became the subject of my master's thesis, supervised by Emer O'Connor, um, and that was a, a real introduction to, to the joys of research. But there was still a lot of work to do. I, knowing about Kernoff was one thing, um, but I wanted to know where he would fit in to a wider history of artistic representations of Dublin. I wanted to know why we were so familiar with the literary history of the city, but not with the artistic representation. So I spent three more uh, wonderful years in Triarch, possibly the nicest office in Dublin, uh, with a desk overlooking the Provost uh, Garden, um, with wonderful uh, people, some of whom are, are here uh, today. Um, and I was under the careful and generous supervision of Yvonne Scott. This brought the, this tiny seed into something much bigger, um, a thesis that looked at the history of Dublin in painting and print from really the mid 19th century up to the mid 20th century. I then spent uh, two and a half years at the ESB Centre for the Study of Irish Art at the National Gallery, which gave me uh, time to recover uh, from the PhD, um, but also to be completely immersed in the wonderful Yates Archive and the other collections there. Uh, time to look at and discover new to me artworks and to meet other scholars uh, in the reading room. In 2017 then, I returned to UCD uh, with an Irish Research Council postdoctoral fellowship, mentored by Emily Mark Fitzgerald um, and as a resident scholar at the wonderful Humanities Institute. And this is where Painting Dublin grew to full maturity, garnished by the opportunities afforded by stability, by financial support of the fellowship, with time to read, write and travel. And really to, to bring my research into, into areas that I hadn't previously thought of, especially to, to travel to countries such as Tallinn, to Boston, to Munich, um, was a really a wonderful time. Also at the Humanities Institute, I shared an office with eight or more of the most wonderful postdocs, the cohort of H105, I can see some of you. <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to the party that we, that we have eventually. 
Um, and you're all just a, a really wonderful bunch of people. So a year into the fellowship, I sent my proposal off to Manchester University Press and I was taken under the wing of Emma Brennan and Alan Richards, who guided me through um, me and the manuscript through the re review process um, and finally all the way uh, to fruition. And I want to make a very special mention because I can see her here, uh, Sarah Maguire, who did my index and caught so many typos and the book would be uh, an absolute mess with, without her. So I'm extremely grateful uh, to Sarah for that. Um, and so here it is, well, in digital form because I haven't got my hard copies yet. Um, we're fully grown and ready to make its way into the world. I wanted to summarize briefly for those of you who are new to the book and um, what it was about and, and what it covered. Uh, and rather than write a new uh, summary of this, I'm actually just going to read a little bit, if you'll indulge me uh, for a few minutes, read a little bit um, from the introduction. Um, so you might have seen that the cover of the book is a wonderful watercolour from the National Gallery's collection called Dublin from the Spire of St George's Church, Hartwick Place. Um, and this is what I'm referring to in, in the opening. From the top of the steeple of St George's Church, Hardwick Place, the city of Dublin stretches out across the canvas in a maze of streets and houses. Black skeletal watercolour ships trace their way to and fro across the bay and up the river, carrying goods and people into the heart of the conurbation. Hazy blue mountains lie on the horizon, connecting land, sea and sky. On close examination, the mass of rooftops and chimneys separate out into recognisable forms. The viewer of the, of the painting can identify some of the city's 18th century squares, Mountjoy, Parnell and Marion Square, the Rotunda Pleasure Gardens, the Parkland of Trinity College and Stephen's Green, the broad sweep of Sackville Street and the curve of College Green. Looking closer still, still sculptural and architectural features emerged. Nelson's pillar rises beside the portico of the GPO, Equestrian monuments of William III and George II are seen on Dame Street and in Stephen's Green, along with the Campanile of Trinity College, Dublin. In addition to landmark buildings like the Custom House and the Rotunda Hospital, the glass dome of the Exhibition Hall, constructed for the Irish Industrial Exhibition in 1853, extends along Leinster Lawn. With the geography of the city mapped out, the artist draws our eye to the people of the city. Sackville Street is filled with carriages and outside cars, a troop of red-coated soldiers march in formation, while people stroll in the Rotunda Pleasure Gardens. Smaller and narrower streets reveal people at work and leisure, with social demarcations made visible through the character of the street and the activities taking place within its environs. In parts of the composition, the dense warren of streets merges into abstract areas of ink and watercolour, with simple geometric shapes giving a mere suggestion of windows and rooftops. Chimneys admit gentle eddies of grey smoke. Painted by James Mahoney, Dublin from the spire of St George's Church, Hardwick Place, captures the geographical and physical life of 19th century Dublin, a city of the British Empire, replete with its symbolic markers of place within this global network of trade and military power. The painting, however, is also a record of this, a city on the brink of change. So this volume explores the representation of Dublin in visual art, in the life, focusing on the lives and artworks of Walter Frederick Osborne, Rosemary Barton, Jack Butler Yeats, Harry Aaron Kernoff, Estella Francis Solomons, 
Flora Hippesley Mitchell and Flora Hippesley Mitchell. Presenting these artists as exemplars of urban painting in the Irish context, the text visits the broad vistas and narrow courts of the city, outlining the social and political context which shaped the lives of these artists and understanding how the ebb and flow of people, goods and ideas has shaped the image of Dublin. So um, I really hope that through these six artists whose lives span and intertwine with such a crucial period in Ireland's recent history, readers will get a sense of the different lives that are contained within the city that we are so familiar with. Born within 40 years of one another in Dublin, London and Omaha, Nebraska, their artworks tell us the story of their life in Dublin. Through them, we travel from the well-to-do suburbs of Rathmines through to the open air markets and tenements of Patrick Street and the Coombe, to levees at Dublin Castle and the historic but dilapidated homes of Huguenot weavers. We walk down the river and, and the Grand Canal over bridges transported by trams and ferries into cafes, exhibition rooms and studios that doubled as a salon or at times as a safe house. As the period progresses, we see the city change. Horses and trams are replaced by cars and buses. Buildings disappear, neon lights flash and are reflected in the Liffey water. Raucous cabarets give way to the sedate lounge bar. Tenements fall, suburbs rise and through it, artists bear witness to the changing city. This does not begin in 1886, or as I suggest in the book's conclusion, end in 1949. Today, more than ever, the image of the city, whether drawn, painted, printed, or photographed, uh, photographed retained, retains its currency as a reflection of self and, and place, of status and change, of happiness and discontent. Painting Dublin is a fleeting glimpse, or if you'll indulge uh, a borrowing of an art historical term, uh, an impression of a moment in Dublin's history and the lives of six Dubliners. Since this research began, uh, I have been walking in the footsteps of these artists as I go about my life, catching glimpses of their compositions as I cross a bridge or turn a corner. Their paintings and prints remind us that even as the city changes, we are connected to generations of artistic Dubliners through the artworks they left behind. So thank you all once again so much for coming today and for all of your support. Um, we do have time for some questions now, I think, before uh, Nicholas does the kind of formal um, honours uh, of launching the book. If Emily is here, I can't see, but um, <laughs> if, uh, if you'd like for the questions to either use the chat uh, function or if you use the raise your hand tool in the reactions, um, we can unmute you and uh, you can ask your question. So thanks again. Thanks so much, Katie. Just to say, oh, you're here. <laughs> I am indeed running for Zach. <laughs> um, just to say, if any folks have any questions for Katie in general about um, the book or its content or its direction, you can put it in the chat, or or you can just pipe up as well. I think we're we're known to each other as a as a as a cohort. Can Can I ask a question? Can everyone hear me? Yes. Hi. Yes. Hello. Hi. It's so exciting. There's so many people here, and congratulations, Katie. I'm so excited to read your book. Um, I just heard you say something about safe houses, artists using yes. basically safe houses. I, I don't know anything about that. It sounds fascinating. Could you could you talk more? Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Alison. Alison was my desk partner in the HI for the first year, so it's lovely to have her here. Um, so in the 1920s, Estella Solomons, who had been involved in nationalist circles um, and national, nationalist activity in Dublin, uh, she had a studio on Pier Street and uh, that became somewhere for people on the run to go 
and while they were there have their portrait painted as well so it had already been kind of I suppose a, a artistic and literary hub uh, Solomon's held her exhibitions there her partner and um, uh, James Sullivan or James Starkey he was kind of known to hang out there as well um, and then it took on this extra dimension as well then in the 1920s. I think Neve has a question for you Neve McGowan. Thanks. Thanks, Katie, and huge congratulations today. I can confirm as a co-intern with, with Katie in the National Gallery back in the day, she wasn't one bit green and she was just as fabulous <laughs> as she is today. <laughs> um, so my question really is just, I suppose, you know, who were the painters? You know, you have the cutoff point in terms of the, the end date of the period that you're looking for, but were there any painters after that period that really caught your, your interest or that you might be kind of interested in looking at in terms of the later representation of Dublin? And um, that is an excellent question, Neve. Um, obviously, the, the book is quite selective with those six artists. And really, from the start, I didn't want it to be a, I suppose, a, a chronicle of artists who did paint the city. So there are lots of artists who aren't in the book. But I, I hope that these six give us a good basis from which to work from. But I really think the artist that I want to come back to is Nora McGuinness. And we think of Nora McGuinness uh, for her kind of still lifes and maybe some of her, uh, I think, kind of European landscapes, but she does have a set of paintings of Dublin, um, including things like the Custom House, Fitzwilliam Square, the Canal. And uh, so that is very high on my list to, to get to next. Great. Are there any other further questions? Sorry, I'm, I'm manning the chat at the same time that I'm... Yeah. <laughs> yes, the seagulls, Neve, I mean, <laughs> they're... Um, she does have some wonderful seagulls swooping around uh, Dublin Bay as well. So she's definitely high on your list. Is there anything, Katie, if I can take the liberty to ask you sort of looking back on the book, um, is there anything that you think that you would have done differently now that you've kind of come to the end point? One thing I, and you'll appreciate this, Emily, is one thing is I think I should have looked a little bit more at photography, but also I'm aware that A, there are other scholars working on photography and B, it just, I think, would have made it almost unmanageable but I think I would have liked a little bit more, um, even just a little bit of more discussion about how art painting and fine art interact with photography. Um, but maybe I can try and get to, get to that sometime as well. I'd be interested as well if you might, you know, because I think this, this book, as I'll sort of speak to in a moment, I think it's going to be really quite groundbreaking in terms of how it reconceives Irish art history. What's your view in terms of the field as a whole? What are, what would you think are kind of the more exciting new directions that it's perhaps evolving towards? Because there's been a lot, as you say, scholarly and academic activity in Irish art history of late, especially with the Art Architecture of Ireland volumes. And, you know, it's an incredibly vibrant field, even from the time that I started 20 years ago. It, it really is. And I think there's so, many, so much work being done through the MA programs, like the one in UCD, like the one in Trinity, um, in NCAD, you know, the broadening out of Irish art history to, to not just be on kind of painting and fine art, uh, becoming more thematic, integrating film, photography, design, history, material culture. Um, I think something that has changed, say, even from when I came through, is that there is maybe a willingness now to look at it in a, a more international way, in, to look at themes that don't kind of centre maybe on national identity as much or nationalism and um, to see where Irish art interconnects with things, themes such as um, colonialism, uh, with race, with gender in a way that I think is, is new and, and really exciting. And um, I was lucky enough to 
to contribute to the art and architecture of Ireland project, as I think probably did every art historian uh, here with us today, but that makes such a strong uh, basis for our discipline. Um, it's such a landmark project, and I think there is uh, a lot of work uh, to come as well. Great, thanks. All right, then. It's my pleasure to hand over then to Nick Allen, who's phoning in from, you're in Georgia, right, Nick? Oh, yeah. Um, Nick had the pleasure, I'm sure, of being the examiner for Katie's PhD thesis, and has been a great supporter of hers ever since. And so we're really pleased to have him here with us today to perform the official launch of Katie's book. Thanks, Emily. It's nice to see you, and so nice to see Anne, to see that the Humanities Institute is thriving, along with so many other uh, research facilities in Ireland. I'll talk a little bit about those contexts, I think, as we start and celebrate Katie. But I just wanted to say, Thank you all for being here with Katie today. Scholarship can sometimes be a lonely business, but books are the work of many people. This launch is a, a great social institution, I think, in Irish learning. And sometimes when you move abroad, you realize just actually what moments of community these are. And as Katie has said so gracefully already, it's ever more important than at the moment. So I just thank you all for being here. And we were talking about some kind of larger book launch in the future, but I'm prepared to help rent the PAV at some stage if you don't like to reconvene in the future summer's evening and celebrate this wonderful, beautiful book. And as Katie read, she reminded me of this image that comes up of the city of Dublin all the way through as a place of the senses, a sensorium. And I really had such an impression as I read the book, which is so beautifully made by Manchester University Press, so beautifully written. And for someone who gives out a little bit about literary criticism, colonizing the history of Ireland, Katie writes with a flair that would be the um, benefit of any writer but it was really a work of reverie for me and i think that you will find that too there's a description of rose barton's painting of saint patrick's close in 1881 or illustration at least and it reminded me so much of all those mornings i used to spend walking down from thomas street and going around to my old office then as was for a year in the dublin institute of technology and there's such an evocation of that layered city of dublin that you get particularly in its historical core she writes so well about that 18th century architectural spine, the way that it grows out and is populated and embodied by so many kinds of people that I'll talk a little bit more in a minute. But I just wanted to congratulate you. It's such a brilliant work of comparativist archival social history. And it really does show that Irish art history, which has taught me so much, has really continued to evolve, grow, be inclusive, be diverse, and just be brilliant actually and fascinating and so engaging as a work of literary art in itself too. It made me think as I was sitting here looking at my reflection in the Zoom, which is something as you get older, you like less to do, but that over my back shoulder, you can see a little picture of George Russell, AE. When I started and I realized with some horror that it was 20 years ago next week that I graduated with my own PhD from Trinity College. I studied AE and I thought about his artwork in a very amateur way as I thought about his journalism and his writing. And one of the people who helped me very much, and who was always so welcoming and so warm and so brilliant was Hilary Pyle. And as I read the book, I also thought about the way in which not only art history has evolved, but the work of so many brilliant women scholars in the Irish Academy throughout the 20th century, really the foundation of art history. And so it's brilliant to see a young woman academic create such a groundworking and revolutionary book, very much in that tradition, and very much showing too how, at the time, whenever I was literary scholar in the English department at Trinity, that art history was somewhere weird to go. You might go down to the history department, but art history, what were you doing there? 
what you proved, I think, with your book, the centrality of the visual history of Dublin to any understanding of the contemporary city, to any understanding of its literary history, of its cultural history broadly. I want to thank Yvonne Scott too. I've learned so much from art history. I've learned so much from these colleagues and really my experience and memory of examining your PhD was just an educational one, a kind of revelation. And I'm not doing this just to flatter you. It really is brilliant work. And I think you're actually among a new generation of early career researchers. You mentioned your friends in H105. I see Alison Garden asked you a question. I see so many other brilliant people in the list of people who are here. It made me think that actually, for all that you are challenged at the moment with finding positions, and it's a shame to me that the Irish institutions are not able or funded to the degree that you should be supported in the way that you are. But you can really see in your work the history of the Humanities Institute at UCD, the history of the School of Art, History and Cultural Policy, the Department of Art, History and Architecture at Trinity, the National Gallery of Ireland, and of the Irish Research Council. Right, there are decades of institutional support. There are decades of teaching, of mentorship and support by your older colleagues that go into this book. And I think we can all be grateful together that you've created not something so brilliant, but something so collective and something that reminds us that these investments by the state in research into the past are really a security for the future of our institutions and for the education of new generations of people in all the diversity of Ireland's past, present and future. And in that regard, I really did want to give a shout out to Lou and Henry Milligan. Uh, it's hard sometimes, I think, with the generations that pass to explain what it is that someone is doing in the archives. My mother will still fill me up. And if I'm not in the office, she'll always think like, have I been fired? Did something happen? Why aren't you at work? And I think, well, I'm kind of at work all the time. You know, really, we're thinking, we're working, we're just not doing things in the way that perhaps the previous generation might have understood. So I wanted to thank Lou and Henry for having the faith and Katie always the supporter. And I wanted to congratulate you all too, because it is a collective achievement with Uncle Johnny and Katie's partner, Grace, doing the, the good work in the hospitals. That this is something to celebrate altogether. So I know you're very proud, but I want you to know how proud we all are of Katie too and how brilliantly she has done. So this is a visual history, yes, but it's also a social history. Perhaps it's the first book that I've ever read where these list of abbreviations has the Irish Republican Army between the General Post Office and the National Gallery. I was thinking as I saw that, what would George Bernard Shaw ever have made of it? The skeleton of the 18th century is peopled in vivid life and seen as never before. It made me think of that wonderful description you have at the start of James Mahoney's painting of Dublin from the spire of St. George's Church in Hardwick Place, which captures the geographical and physical life of 19th century Dublin in a way I'd never conceived of before. I'd certainly thought about Dublin and its context as being a city of the British Empire, but you really bring out that imperial richness of everyday life, of experience, of not just a conversation about high politics or of national attachment, but what it means to smell, to see, to walk, to run, take a tram, to circulate, to be in fog, to always be in transit. And that sense of comparative richness is so brilliantly brought out. You think about dockers, swimmers, drinkers, radicals, dancers, the poor, the better off. This amazing panorama, which actually I think does secure Joyce's Dubliners, you don't like me saying this, uh, in its literary richness, because it brought out, and Joyce, of course, the owner or the opener, the proprietor of the first cinema in Dublin, it made perfect sense that he wrote Dubliners in the way that he did when you enlivened his works, for me as a literary scholar, with these visual analogues of the city. 
The work is its own promontory from Dublin. I was thinking of counterparts in that moment when the character looks out into the chilly fog from a bridge over the Liffey. And the work is its own promontory from Dublin, a city as David Dixon calls it, which was the capital of the Irish Sea. And you capture so beautifully all of those modes of circulation. And you really, I think, in focusing on Walter Osborne, Rose Barton, Jack Yates, I think my one true love, Harry Kernoff, who you made me love more, Estella Solomons and Flora Mitchell, you give such a wonderful uh, procession and chronological idea of not just how the city changed, but also how art changed. That peerless description you have of Walter Osborne's painting the Dublin streets, a vendor of books with Antwerp and Brittany, the life of other places in that painting, that lovely glimpse you have of the soldier in the background in the uniform of a Gordon Highlander. I had so much as I looked at these paintings and thought, not just about poverty as being generated by the British or by this sense of the city itself as a, a city of late 19th and early 20th century modernity, but a city of empire that creates these conditions and all of these figures of patrol and observation that go through Jack Yates' sketchbooks, which you caught there in that beautiful Walter Osborne's painting. You have Jack Yates in context of American art. You have Mitchell's Vanishing Dublin. Is Dublin always vanishing? I thought it reminded me so much of the 1990s of a city that seems like it's from another, I don't know, another, well, it is of another century now. It's hard to believe, but that past place gone, this amazing city of layers, this almost kind of Finnegan's Wakeian style of recomposition all the time that you catch so beautifully and you're writing about the place. That wonderful moment. There are so many moments when you read the book, we think, really? Could that really be? It's a description of Chancery Lane. Did you know about the Italian organ grinders of Chancery Lane? Well, if you didn't, this is the place to come. And when you read about those organ grinders of Chancery Lane, in one of the footnotes, you will find Louis Marc Antonio. He was one of Walter Osborne's subjects. So this is not just the poor of Dublin as people who are subjects of representation. These are people whose names, whose possible histories have been excavated from the archive and brought back into the full social life in relation with the artist and with the artwork. So in that sense, it's a great work of democratic inclusiveness. It is truly Republican in that way. And I really wanted to commend you for that. Other moments I had, one of the last times I was in Belfast, I was walking through the city centre and I happened to bump into my friend, the dear, and sadly departed Kieran Carson. He was a man who was famous for collecting tweeds. He would go on the eBay and buy different depths of uh, thorn-proof tweed, which he was convinced were going to come back into fashion at some future time, as yet unspecified. And there you had Jack Yates describing the Irish Times in 1928. Dressed is an unfailing Donegal tweeds with a carnation in his coat lapel. Maybe seen walking in our streets, his loose spare frame swinging along with a rhythm of its own. Sometimes the artist strides forward at a rapid pace, unconsciously probably of the onlookers, but keenly alive to his surroundings. The book is so keenly alive to its surroundings that it makes you think about your own. Painting Dublin is a beautifully written model of cultural comparativism anchored in archival detail. And I'm always telling people in the literary world that the Jack Yates Archive in the National Gallery of Ireland is actually one of the still great undiscovered cultural treasures of 20th century Ireland, such a generous gift from the Yates' family. And you bring that out so beautifully in your work, Katie. It's a history, but it's also a new departure, a book that is literary, even as it gives out a little that we have paid too much attention to text and not to vision. So full of surprises, you can move from King Billy in Dublin 
to the city's little Jerusalem and those wonderful passages about Harry Kernoff and that instructional account of migrant life in Dublin city and that it was a city always of porous migrations, a city of inclusivity, a city of adaptability. You get that wonderfully in the sections in the early 1920s about Kernoff, thinking about the jazz age after the Irish Civil War, where people were in a joyous mood and everywhere cabarets and dance halls were springing up. That illustration that you have of the 1941 view of Davy Burns from the Bailey, stop me in my tracks, so beautiful, such a surprise. Things that I thought were familiar, artists that I thought in my amateur way that I was familiar with again and again, you surprised me with this book. It's a book of great treasure. I really wanted to say to you too, if you'll allow me this, that Dublin should be grateful for this loving and brilliant tribute. It's very unusual, I think, in a first book which proceeds from a doctoral dissertation to have such a sense of the presence of the author's observation. This is something which we're trained slightly to write out. But there's such an undercurrent of clear-eyed affection for the place, for your arrival in it, that it really allows us to see that city again. It's a new city, but it's also a city of echoes, a city of layers, as I've said, a city that I think no matter from what perspective you read it from, that you'll see something familiar in it. You will be surprised and you'll be taken back to streets that you thought you were very familiar with. I want to leave the last words to Dr. Milligan from her conclusion. With the research presented here, it can be seen that among the multiple concerns of Irish artists was the representation of Dublin, the people of the city and the individual experience of living and working there. Through the visions of these artists, we gain a new understanding of the changing city and in turn face our own experience of life in Ireland's capital into a rich and varied visual lineage. It has always been the case in the Irish literary and in the Irish visual tradition that vision is connected to change, that experience is connected to inclusivity, that the observation of the city is something that is embodied, involved, felt, sensual. Your book brings that out so brilliantly. It's not only a new departure in Irish art history, it's a new departure in Irish cultural studies. It will last for the decades, and I mean this so sincerely. It is brilliant. You have done brilliantly. Brava. Thank you so much, Nick, for that beautiful reflection on Katie's work. I know I feel overwhelmed just hearing you talk about it, and let alone being familiar with the book itself. Um, I think it's just a wonderful sort of distillation of uh, what Katie has achieved. I think the sensitivity and nuance that she's brought to the work. It's been a long time in gestation. Um, if you'll permit me, I just wanted to say a few words just in terms of, um, I suppose, Katie's significance in terms of her relationship to art history as a discipline uh, here and, and, and what this book will mean. Um, as Katie mentioned, she began her art history studies with us here at UCD um, before she defected to that other university's name. I, I can't remember um, for her MPhil and later PhD. It'll come to me later, I'm sure. Um, but we are really, really pleased to welcome her back to the mothership where she still is. Um, for her IRC funded postdoc uh, where she completed this wonderful book. And I remember when Katie was at this stage of applying for the IRC postdoc and I had a conversation with the director of the National Gallery, uh, Sean Rainbird. And at the time he referred to Katie as truly exceptional in her work and her years as the ESB fellow in Irish art at the National Gallery. And my long experience with Katie entirely echoes this sentiment. She is exceptional. I can think of no better term to describe her. 
And I think it's no exaggeration to state that she's one of the most accomplished researchers to emerge in Irish art history over the past decade. And she's made profound contributions in our field. And I know this is really only her first book, certainly not the last. Uh, I'm someone also who has a passing interest in this field and it's been my pleasure to witness firsthand her sophisticated and iconoclastic approach to this subject where she's been integrating a rigorous and really refreshing scholarly approach, especially to the subject of artistic mobilities and networks of exchange amongst artists and also cultural institutions and doing this excavation work so brilliantly. Within our field, I think transnationalism has expanded recent perspectives, has a relatively tentative foothold within Irish art history, but Katie's work again has been highly innovative in addressing structural, ideological, and also practice dimensions of mobility within this key period and this key transitional period in terms of Irish sovereignty and the institutions that are all part of that system and the forces which are at play. And for these reasons, I think Katie's work has really moved Irish art history scholarship beyond this national determinism that she spoke of earlier that's defined perhaps art history in the past, in a sense, moving beyond the Irishness of Irish art. And I mean that in only the most generous sense. And I think then this is a groundbreaking book, again, that will fundamentally shift how we understand artistic production of this period, and particularly as it relates to Dublin, but also in a much wider framework as well. So just on behalf of our own school of art history and cultural policy, I'd like to deeply congratulate Katie on this wonderful day. Uh, I'm sorry that the Harry Kernoff cupcakes maybe came a little bit too early in the process. We can have revived them again. They came at the end of uh, Katie's postdoc, but we'll certainly look forward to having the opportunity to raise a glass in person soon. So just congratulations to Katie. I'm sure other folks would love to um, uh, list their congratulations in the chat. They already are here, I can see down at the bottom of the screen but I might then just hand back over to Katie herself to just uh, close this off, I think, for this afternoon. Thank you so much. I'm actually uh, completely overwhelmed by uh, the lovely words uh, from Anna, from Nicholas, uh, from Emily. It's uh, maybe I should have a book lunch more often. Maybe this is a huge ego boost, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but also just a very uh, special and uh, emotional occasion as well. Um, I suppose the, my closing kind of parlay is, should be to please buy the book. <laughs> um, uh, you can get 50% off at the moment. You'll have received that in the email. Um, I would, one thing about academic publishing and so many of us know this is that the library hardback comes out first and that determines whether it will come out in paperback. And I think that this is a book that should deserves a wide readership beyond the academy. I think it's a book that anyone who comes to Dublin uh, to live here, to visit here, um, would enjoy, because it is a book about uh, living in Dublin. Um, so before I kind of break down completely, I'm going to finish up there, but just thank you so much everyone for coming and for being so generous with your time and, and so supportive for this, for me and, and the project. Thank you so much. <laughs>